Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, Happy New Year to you all. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg, one of the pastors, and uh, I'm here this morning. I get to share the Word of God with you in your bulletin. It says, Pastor Christian, uh, he has come sick yesterday, and so he's not here, so here I am, and glad to be with you as we reflect together on this new year. What does the new year mean to you? What does it do for you? Does it fill you with an excitement as you consider the possibilities of what may happen? Does it fill you with a dread as you look ahead to a year full, perhaps, of uncertainties or changes? Does it not do a whole lot for you? You just feel numb. It's, you know, SSD, SSDY, same stuff, different day, same stuff, different year. This really is a great time in our culture to pause and reflect. You know, it's great because reflection is so important and can be so powerful for us. Tracy Kennedy is a leadership and executive coach. She's a consultant. She's also the personal development expert for lifehack.org. And she tells a story about a time where she heard a man named Craig Crowey speak at a conference. Now, Craig Crowey is a major triathlete. In fact, he's a five-time Ironman champion. And if you don't know what an Ironman is, it is a really just stupid competition. It begins with a 2.4-mile swim, and you hop out of the water, jump immediately onto a bike, and ride for 112 miles. And then because you feel so fresh, you decide to go run a marathon, literally 26.2 miles after all of that. That is an Iron Man. And Crowley was talking about the importance of reflection and how it impacted his performance and confidence as an Iron Man athlete. Because what he would do is he would break down every race and every practice. All of the little details, what went well, what didn't go well. He'd think about the equipment, you know, the shape of the helmet he was using, when he took salt into his body, what mood or emotional state he was in. He'd break it all down to figure out what he could learn. What he could learn about himself, about techniques, about equipment. All so that he could make adjustments next time to hopefully increase his performance. See, this is what reflection can be for us. This is what the new year could be about for us. We could pause intentionally and consider, how's life going? How have you been navigating the last year? I forget the whole year. How are you navigating what you're walking through right now? Are you becoming more the person that you want to be? Are you on the path that God would have for your life? And we have to be intentional and we have to reflect in order to answer these questions well. And so I want to invite you into that reflection today. Specifically with the question, what new could this new year bring for you? And the psalm we're about to read will invite us into something new. We switched up the scripture a little bit from what you see in your bulletin as we switched up the preacher on you. So 
We're now going to be in Psalm 33, but you'll have that on the screen if you'd like to follow along. And what is the psalmist inviting you into that's new? Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who, whose hope is in his unfailing love to, li- to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray as we move into his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this new year. And that new is possible as you are at work in our lives. And so give us the grace to hear from you as you'd speak to us this morning and even more so the grace to respond. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what was the new thing that the psalmist invited us to in this New Year. Did you see it in verse 3? Where we were invited to sing to the Lord a new song. So what does this mean? What does it mean to sing a new song to the Lord? Does that mean that when we gather each weekend in worship, we need to bring, roll out a new song, literally? No. No, that doesn't mean that, though new songs are encouraged certainly for us to continue to stay fresh and to continue to be intentional of what we bring to God and engage our hearts and our minds and not just walk through what we know and are familiar with. But the thing is, we know that someone can have a song in their heart even when they're not singing, can't they? I mean, you probably know people like that. I was thinking about Buddy the Elf when I was thinking of this. If you've seen the movie Elf, it's about a man who was raised by elves. And at one point, he's having a conversation with another character named Jovi. And excuse me, he says the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And she's saying, yeah, but I don't sing. And he's trying to convince her, no, it's easy. It's just like talking. It's just louder and longer. And you move your voice up and down. And 
She says, no, I don't sing in front of people. And he says, well, if you can sing alone, you can sing in front of people. It's easy. And then in the middle of a department store, he gives the example and he busts out into song. And he's saying, I'm singing, I'm singing, I'm in a store and I'm singing. And it's something like that. And it may not be the most beautiful song that you've heard. And yet a ridiculous song, but you know it came from his heart. A song in your heart is a heart that is full of joy and exuberance. It's a heart overflowing with all that is beautiful and good. And when we consider it as a song to the Lord, it's a heart that is overflowing with joy and gratitude and hopefulness and devotion and love and worship, all pouring out towards God. And that can happen certainly when we're literally singing, but it also can happen when we're in silent reflection in prayer and intimate communion with God. It can happen in the interactions that we have with other people as the song within us comes out. And specifically, the psalmist is inviting us to sing a new song to the Lord. What's the new song about? What's the new part? Aren't the old songs good enough? I mean, we love the traditional songs. Aren't the songs that we've been singing the old way of responding in our hearts to God enough? The short answer to that question is actually no. No, this psalm and the six other times in the psalms that we are invited, actually even commanded to sing a new song to the Lord means a new song. In other words, the assumption here is that the old songs, though good, are not adequate to express fully what God is due. That though the old way of relating to God is good, it's not adequate. The old heart, the old memories of what God has done is not enough to carry us through each moment and each new year of life. See, these psalms assume that there's going to be a newness within us and a newness, a freshness in our relationship with God. That we can't just rest on what God did for us in the past and on what we've done and been in the past, but instead expect to see and experience something new. That we'll see a new act of God's love and grace and redemption in our lives. Or perhaps that we'll grasp something old in a new way. You know, something will unlock for us, something will become clear, something will be illuminated, we'll come to a deeper place of understanding, appreciation, or awe. And for me, this, this often happens in my life through the lens of my failure and my honesty. See, I, I actually have come to the greatest understanding of the magnitudes of God's love for me when I've become most honest and most clear on the magnitude of my own entitlement, the magnitude of my self-centeredness, the magnitude of my sin, the magnitude of the darkness that still wages war within me, that though a follower of Jesus, Paul reminds us that there is a battle going on within us between the sin and the flesh and the spirit. And as I understand and really, honestly, reflect more intentionally, more deeply, and I realize more fully the magnitude of my darkness, then I realize more fully the magnitude of God's love for me through what Jesus has done. Because I no longer convince myself that I was doing really well and all I needed was like a little boost from Jesus. 
right? Kind of like I'm running a race and probably going to win, but Jesus, you know, just gave me a little supercharge to make sure I got across the finish line. See, the more I understand the gravity of my rebellion and my failure, the more I realize that in this race, I can barely even crawl, that I can't even hold myself up, that I'm facing an Ironman race and I absolutely don't have what it takes because the swim is through lava and the bike ride is up Everest. However you want to frame it, the reality is under my own power and ability, I will not ever get through the race. And the more honestly I reflect on the truth of that, that I don't have what it takes, that I will more fully experience the magnitude of God's love for me. This is what the psalmist is saying, where no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is really a vain hope for deliverance. In other words, the psalmist is saying, when we look to ourselves and our own ability to make it through, to overcome well, then we treat Jesus like a little boost. But when we reflect honestly on our own effort to save ourselves, to get rid of the darkness and realize that it is hopeless, then we realize that Jesus took on the fullness of our sin and our rebellion and our failure and our darkness, and he crucified it within himself on a cross. Man, and when we grasp that anew, then we really understand that Jesus isn't just a boost, but he is a passionate Savior. He is a loving Lord. And this intentional reflection leads us to a new song as we have a new experience of his love and his grace. It's a song of deeper gratitude, of greater wonder and appreciation and love for the one who loves you. And this is really only one of the ways that inspiration comes to us for the new song to the Lord. <clears throat> I don't know. Have you ever tried to write a song? I mean, I've, I've tried a few times, and it hasn't gone particularly well for me. And like so many creative processes, as I've learned a little about it, I've come to understand that writing a song is simplistically difficult and excruciatingly easy. Simplistically difficult and excruciatingly easy. Take that in for a minute. See, because it all depends on inspiration. And at times, the creative process and songwriting can feel like pulling teeth. And at other times, it can come all like a flood. It can rush in all at once. You can hear story after story from songwriters who have this experience that an entire song came to them all at once. It was like the song was just put inside of them and they were just a conduit to let it out into the world. And then at other times, they describe the grind of showing up over and over and over and for days and weeks and months, making incremental process over long periods of time until eventually a song emerges. And coming to a new song to the Lord can be a lot like that. Right? We want it to be the easy version. We want to always feel that incredible high and easily see God's hand and presence in our life and see what he's done so that it's just so easy to have a song come out of us. But much of the time, the new song emerges from the intentional reflection Yes, the reflection on the honest state of our lives and what Jesus has really done for us. But the psalmist also gives us some other ways of reflection that can make an opening for inspiration to come to us. The first is reflecting deeply on God's word. 
In verse four, the psalmist said this, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. See, the psalmist has been listening to God, hearing what God has to say through his word. And he's discovered through what God has said that God is faithful, he's just, and he's loving. See, the psalm, this psalm itself is a part of that reflection and is a part of a new song. And for us, as we hear from God speaking what he wants to say, it will inspire a new song in our hearts. And you may be wondering, but how can I hear? I mean, we've been given this incredible gift that is the word of God, the Bible. And I don't know how you feel about the Bible. People have had a lot of mixed experiences with the Bible. For some, the Bible, depending on your background, it has not been like a gift. It's been more like a curse because it's been used against you to try to force conformity on you, to modify your behavior from the outside. Others, it's just been terribly boring, like a textbook that you had to slog your way through. But what if we started to approach the Bible as the opportunity to hear God truly speaking to you? To speak to you about what he's doing throughout history and what he wants to do in your life today? What if it's a gift of communication, a gift of relationship that God wants to speak? You might be going, well, yeah, but it's confusing and it's hard to understand. And so I just, I've tried. I just would encourage you to try again. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, we're given a promise that we, that we actually have a gift within us of the Holy Spirit. If you've put your trust in Jesus that you're no longer relying on what you are capable of, but what Jesus has done for you, then you have the Holy Spirit within you. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, we're told, is that he leads us into all of the truth. The truth of what God is doing, what God has done, what God will do, what he wants to shape and do within your life. See, the Holy Spirit within you literally inspires a new song within you. To inspire is actually to fill someone with the urge or ability to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. This comes from dictionary.com. The Holy Spirit is literally inspiring you, filling you with this ability to understand, to hear the word of God and to respond to what he's doing in the world and in your life with a new song. And so in this new year, part of this is an invitation to reflect deeply on the Word of God, perhaps to pick it up again or for the first time. And if you don't know how or you don't know where to start, let's have a conversation. Let's talk. Because God, I believe, wants to speak into your life. And so don't pick it up and start reading it like every other book from the beginning, you know, from front to back. It's not like any other book. Pick somewhere else. Pick Mark. Pick John. Pick. Let's talk so that you can begin to reflect deeply on the word of God speaking into your life. And it'll call out of you a new song as you know, know what he's up to. The psalmist also invites us to reflect deeply on God's work in creation. He said in verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host. By the breath of his mouth he gathers the water of the sea into jars. What a beautiful picture. Just grab that one for a second. The waters of the sea, God just puts in jars, you know, no big deal. 
Right? This is inviting us to consider what, who God is, this God who didn't just make everything and walk away, but who made everything, sustains everything, the power, the wonder, the creativity, the beauty, the majesty of the one behind it. We tend to complain about the weather, don't we? No, I know you don't. Other people in your life, I know. You know, it's too cold, it's cold, it's too cold, it's hot, it's too hot, it's humid, it's too humid, it's dry, it's too dry, we really need the rain, rain comes, man, when's this rain going to go away, I can't wait, right, this is just our natural tendency, but what if the weather was an invitation to reflect on the one who made the weather? What if in this new year, you decided to embrace every day and the weather that shifts throughout the day as an opportunity to point you to the one on the other side of the weather? to the one who has the power that holds thunder and lightning in his hands. The one who, whose breath the wind pales in comparison to. Right? What if this was the opportunity to receive the water, not just on our bodies, but for a parched soul that then out of that will spring forth a new song? You know, there's, I'm sure there are days when you go to the beach, Right? And, and those are great days, and you remember, man, it's really good to live on the Jersey Shore, and we appreciate that. But then there are days where you go to the beach, aren't there? And it's the same place, but for some reason that day your eyes got big. Perhaps your jaw became slack as you just stood in awe and wonder on the shore and the, the ocean itself pointing you to the one beyond grasping in this moment in a new way the God of creation and a new song being called out of you. Because even this is a new song. It's a song of awe and worship, humility and wonder and gratitude that you've grasped God in a new way. The psalmist also invites us to reflect on God's work throughout history. It says, the, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. We're invited to no longer just view the news cycle. We're invited to reflect deeply on history and on current events through a lens that realizes that God ultimately is the one working through everything. That he is the one who is sovereign over all of history, over the nations, and that his plans cannot be thwarted. And I know that's hard to hold on to when at times we can feel overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. And we see crises, and we see war, and we see evil, and we see the politics of the day, and we see just the, the nastiness that is being perpetuated, and we can easily get overwhelmed and run around like, little, like chicken little. The sky is falling, and the sky is falling. The invitation to the follower of Jesus is to deeply reflect on the reality that God has been the one pulling throughout history his plans and his purposes, even through the atrocities. Yes, people acting horribly. Yes, wrongs and evils and injustices being perpetuated, and yet God's plans and purposes will not be foiled. You know, and in this, perhaps we start to see that some of this God allows and makes happen as a wake-up call to us. To say, hey, 
This way of life detached from me. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the psalm said. And so a life, a world, a people detached from this God is a life that has led to destruction and decay. God perhaps allows the things that we can't understand to happen so that we can see that, no, the heart of humanity is absolutely depraved by sin. That we're not just basically good. No, we have a sin problem at the very core and there is nothing that we can do to solve it. As much as we've tried to solve this problem as humans throughout history, we have made no progress. And our only hope is to throw ourselves at the mercy of the God who can transform hearts and souls. Desperately crying out for the mercy of God. And maybe understand that even in the hard things, God is at work doing something good that we couldn't quite understand. The story of Joseph is the classic story of that in the Bible. If you're not familiar with it, real quick, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And that was only because one of the brothers realized, you know, we could make a penny off of him if we don't murder him. So they sold him into slavery and he was obedient in, in slavery. And so what was he? Was he rewarded as we expect from obedience? No. No, instead his master's wife tries to seduce him and when he tried to have the moral high ground, she gets frustrated and irate and accuses him then of rape and has him thrown in prison. And so Joseph in prison, obedient once again, diligently working hard, doing the right thing. Is he, is he rewarded? No. Those who were supposed to put a good word in for him forgot him, allowing him to rot there in prison. And eventually, yes, someday, he was elevated out of prison to the right hand of Pharaoh so that he could be the means by which God would save his brothers and his father and Egypt and the nations through a famine that Joseph would be the one who would lead them. And at the end, near the end of the story of Joseph, we have Joseph encapsulating the whole story, saying to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Perhaps as we reflect deeply on history and on our lives, we can see God's hand in the midst of the atrocities. Or maybe it's only by looking back where you couldn't see it at the time. You could see what others intended for evil or what just seemed like pain that didn't make sense. God was intending to work something good within you. It might have been the moment where as you look back, he was drawing closest to you. And in that, our hope becomes not in what we can understand and what we can accomplish, but in, in accepting that this God is God of history and has a plan. And, and something God's been showing me personally recently is that I can endure a lot of things when I know there's an end date. Like when I know there's a limit on the, the suffering or the pain or the hardship or the stress, I can make through a lot. But when I don't see an end that's when I start to become overwhelmed and I start reacting in anger and frustration and lashing out. And that's where I start to realize in those moments, my hope is not in the God who's working out a plan in the midst of the hardship. It's in my ability to have control over my life and work the circumstances to the point that I feel like that's how I want them to go. But see, hoping in the Lord, accepting that God is in control over history and over my life is freedom. Because we don't have to orchestrate the details. We don't have to be in control. And man, as we accept his plan, it allows us to walk so much more lightly. And that leads to a new song. And finally, the reality of inspiration 
is that sometimes we have to wait. Paul McCartney is considered one of the greatest songwriters, certainly of the 20th century. Some would argue all time. We won't debate that now. But his song Yesterday was the number one pop and rock song of the 20th century. It's the most covered song of all time. But do you know where the inspiration came from? It was 1964, and he was actually living in the attic of his sweetheart, Jane Asher's parents' house. And space was so small, it had basically enough space for his bed and the upright piano that he had lugged up all of the stairs so that he could do his songwriting. And one morning, in the waning hours of the night, the melody of yesterday came to him, and he popped awake, sat upright to his piano, and began to bang it out on the piano. And so that he didn't lose... The melody, the tune, he set words to the, to the tune. And the words he chose were random breakfast foods because he had no inspiration for what the words were going to be. And so he's singing, sausages. I, I don't know if that's what he was singing, but he was singing about breakfast foods, right? And he kept playing the tune over and over again to everybody around him. And people became so annoyed just hearing the tune over and over again. But he, and he was trying. He was working and he was grinding, trying to figure out what are these words going to be to this song. And after months and months of struggling with the creative process, he had a breakthrough. In an unlikely and very un- inconvenient place, he was in a car in, on a vacation in Portugal, sitting in the back seat, and they're just driving. And he didn't have anything to write with. And so he's there in the car, and the words started a little bit coming to him, and he realizes that, man, his brain started mulling and and going, and suddenly there were openings to the verse, but he had to wait till they arrived at the location they were going, and he had to go hunt down a guitar because that was the only instrument that anybody had, and then he started penning the lyrics, and it took two more weeks of working and working to get the words to the song. And that wasn't enough waiting because his record company thought it was going to be a total dud and didn't bother to release it in the UK. They picked it up in America. It worked out. But he was waiting and he was waiting and he was waiting for inspiration that wasn't coming. And eventually it broke through and he had to keep waiting. The psalmist is waiting and waiting in hope for the Lord. He's waiting. In him, the Lord, our hearts rejoice When we trust in his holy name, he's waiting, trusting that the God who loves him is going to show up in his life. He's waiting with expectation that God is going to break through. And there will be inspiration for a new song. But it's an expectant waiting. There's a hope here that God will in fact show up. The new act of love and grace will break through, that it will inspire and will call forth a new song. If you're in a season of waiting right now, I want to invite you to reflect deeply on what God could be doing. The new thing he wants to bring into your life that's going to break through. That's going to break through and lead you to a new song of joy, of gratitude, of love, of devotion, of awe, of wonder, of worship. Expect to see it in this new year as you reflect deeply. And this table, I think, is another means to come with the same expectation that there will be inspiration. That when we come to this table, we expect to encounter the Lord of history, encounter the creator and sustainer of all things, encounter the one who sent his son to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to take on your rebellion, your sin, and your darkness, to come with a hope and an expectation that something new is coming for you as you come to this table. 
It's an act of faith. And so this morning, I want to invite you to come with a hope and an expectation that something new is coming for you in this new year. And if it doesn't happen today, to invite you to reflect deeply on what God is speaking to you, waiting for the new experience of love and grace to break through and call forth a new song.